People told me a few years ago, Lisa Banks will never use blockchain. They will never invest in Bitcoin. And all you see every day are press releases of Fidelity. JP Morgan has their Onyx token in the blockchain. They just needed to catch up. And I think that's been the problem with the regulators. The regulators are trying to control something that can have no control. Decentralization, you can't control. So if someone tells you they're a CEO of a decentralized company, you have to question them because CEO means they have control over a company. Decentralized economy is no control. So it's a whole new world that democratized. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Lisa Syme. Lisa is the principal at StrategicExchanges.com, a consortium of financial institutions that connects innovative markets to a select group of service providers that place a strong emphasis on impacts of regulatory change. Each consortium member provides services that offers unique views and solutions to help financial institutions navigate the new mandates. Strategic Exchanges is the eyes and ears for regulatory impacts in the industry, as seen from a neutral perspective. The goal is to pass this understanding on to clients to ensure the most effective and economically viable solution possible. Lisa has traded and sold treasury products for various financial institutions in Austria, Germany, and New York City. In July of 2011, she realized the markets were lost and stuck between the new regulatory mandates of Dodd-Frank regulatory reform and coming to terms with the fact that legacy technologies had little capacity to handle the new regulatory environment. Lisa established strategic exchanges to help financial firms navigate through this new and very difficult path. Lisa currently engages over 17 different firms that address various issues on the way trades are executed, processed, reported, and settled within the framework of the new regulatory mandates. You can learn more about Lisa at strategicexchanges.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Lisa. Well, Lisa, welcome to the corporate couch. Nice to be here. Yeah. So full disclosure for our listeners out there, Lisa and I went to both uh, junior high, which was called middle school, growing up in New York, uh, about an hour from the city and high school together. So it's a, we're reconnecting outside of uh, uh, some of the reunions we have attended. And she's uh, uh, moved out to uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So our, our first guest from Wyoming. So that's phenomenal. Well, Lisa, I like to just lighten it up a little bit. We've been in the pandemic about three years now. So on a 
a professional Zoom call, what has been the craziest attire or lack of attire you've ever seen somebody on a, on a Zoom call? Oh, wow. That's a really cool question. <laughs> uh, it's been pretty good, but you do forget in the beginning. Now everybody's an expert, right, on Zoom. But early days, wow. It was a little bit embarrassing because I work a lot with Europe. And waking up, you know, super early, sometimes 5 a.m., you kind of forget, hey, did I brush my hair? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't have to brush your teeth. I guess that that's the coolest thing. Yeah. You don't have to worry about brushing your teeth when you go to work. So I thought that was a big plus. <laughs> yeah. No mouthwash. Um, but yeah, it was just getting used for me, just getting used to, um, you know, being on stage. And now it's just, you know, it's... Uh, Normal. Yeah, part of life, part of life, yeah, yeah. part of your everyday life, yeah. yes. So, so growing up, um, what did you like to do as a kid? Oh my gosh! So, growing up in the Hudson Valley, I loved being being on the Hudson River. You know, we had boats. My grandparents had a boat. Uh, living on the river was amazing. Obviously, uh, getting a little bit older, I was a gymnast on the gymnastics team, so I was always into health and good food, good nutrition. My dad what my dad had a local deli and catering facility. He was the baby of nine and was an entrepreneur of all of his siblings and retired at the age of 50. Wow. So I think he really inspired me to find that entrepreneurial spirit in me. And I'm extremely out of the box. And I think growing up like that, it was never a routine you know, everything went, you know, you just uh, went with the flow. And he has, you know, a lot of real estate there now, you yeah. know, the mobile home and a lot of buildings there. And uh, nice. it was fun to grow up there, but uh, always had the desire to go abroad, right? That was um, one of my criteria when I chose my college. Um, it was they had to have a some kind of abroad program. So it was just always dying to get out of the area and get to Europe. And I guess, uh, that drove me to move to Vienna. Yeah, let's say so. Um, well, first of all, so when when you were growing up, uh, so you, based on your dad being a role model, would so you know, did you want to be like a business owner, entrepreneur? Was that like you know, some people want to be president, NFL quarterback, a teacher? But was that your kind of passion to be? Right. Hey, when I grow up, I want to be this. Yeah, absolutely not. I, I think it was his customers that came in the store. I was the cashier uh, from a very young age. And one of our most famous customers was Philip Hampton. I don't know if you probably remember Mark Hampton. Yes. He was in our grade. Yes. And Mr. Hampton was chairman of Bankers Trust oh, in the city. Chairman. Yeah. Wait, so, so when we were growing up, Mark's dad was the chairman yeah. of Bankers Trust. See, yes. I never knew that. Yeah, he was. I remember Mark was a smart humble. kid. I would, and our class was about 250 total. Yeah, give or take. Exactly. So we grew up in a small, I mean, small is relative, but we knew everybody that we graduated with, obviously. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So that inspired me um, to really uh, look into the financial. I, I actually, that that's probably a little bit moving too fast, but I first was interested in being a pianist. So that was my main reason for going to Vienna, Austria, to study at the conservatory. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was so bad. Like, you have no idea. You grew up in this little town. You know, my parents always told me I was an amazing piano player and I wanted to study music. So um, 
I did move. To, I had that abroad program experience with my little college in Maine, and I went for one semester and never came back for like a long time. Went and stayed for a good uh, six to eight years uh, in Vienna and really loved every minute of it. Like just found um, a new passion working with a lawyer there as an au pair. I stayed on as an au pair. I taught their kids piano lessons. So I was kind of doing a bit of everything, right? Trying to figure out what do I really want to be? What is my, I didn't really know what my passion was, but when I started to work for this attorney that I was au pairing for, um, he started to um, force me to learn German. <laughs> my parents were appalled because I'm Italian. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so having the, um, you know, the German, you know, when I came home, they were, they were pretty upset that I spoke fluent German, but uh, it really helped me get ahead. And just the fact that I learned fluent German and lived in Austria, that helped me get my very first job, which was at a bank, an Austrian bank for that. Right. Um, they hired me because I spoke German. So one, I saw you went right from, we graduated high school in June and you went to the Manhattanville business law program for a summer program before you went to you know, full-time no, college? No, no, that might be a little deceiving on LinkedIn. Uh, what I did was I went, I did the abroad program and then I literally registered in Vienna at the University of Vienna and studied there. Uh, they accepted all of my credits um, and the business law program I did at Manhattanville was actually credits towards my degree in Vienna. Okay. So I do summer classes and you'll see a lot of summer classes, which I was always inspired to just continue learning. Right. Did some really amazing classes at the University of Vienna in Strobel, which is outside of Salzburg. And you could do 90 hours of credits in six weeks. So it was a really good way to get a semester out of the way. Wow, no kidding. <laughs> and the program still exists. If anyone on your podcast is interested yeah. for their own kids or grandkids, yeah. it's um, it's really worth it. I mean, you get now it's a four-week program. It used to be a six-week program. Yeah, so two questions, though. In terms of uh, the college you attended in, in Maine, you were one, how'd you pick a psychology human services major? And I know you weren't right. there that long. And then, you know, I hadn't, you know, there's many colleges, obviously, but I had not heard of that one. So what, what led you to both the your choice of major and the choice of college? Right. Just being really confused as a teenager. <laughs> well, and I did, I did graduate early. I graduated Hendrick Hudson a year early because I had so many credits you know, and I used to work at the deli and I did graduate. Um, actually, it was a semester early. So my parents didn't want me to go. I wanted to go to the University of Colorado in Boulder. I applied for the music program and I was 16. And my dad flew me out there and we visited the university. And he was like, you are not going to college this year to this college because it was a very it's a very big, um, you know, campus. Yeah had a big reputation for being a party school. Hmm. So I looked for another college that I could go to, you know, until, you know, maybe do an associates or something. So I was just feeling, you know, different areas. Uh, I really liked human services. I don't know why, but um, the program at the school I went to in Maine, uh, the, the college itself was 500 students. Wow. NASA. So yeah. really tiny. Yeah. 
but they had that Vienna program that I was really interested in. So that was my criteria of choosing the school. So literally I stayed, a, I stayed the first semester, had to take a bunch of German classes, uh, liked their human services program just to try it out and then left for Austria that January of 1979. Wow. Yeah, I I guess I didn't realize you graduated early. Yeah. So did you travel internationally growing up? Is that what kind of- Never, never. Okay. No, very, very little. Right. My grandfather was from Austria, so I always wanted to go. So I just wanted to get that in. And um, the program really changed my life, right? Just got to see other cultures and that summer school program in uh, outside of Salzburg, it was a hundred students from 26 different countries. Wow. And we were just on a reunion call, uh, in fact, this past weekend. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah, so it was really fun. I mean, we're still, we're at each other's weddings from Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, oh Egypt, um, Italy, uh, lots of Americans. Uh, the Americans and the Swedes were basically the most dominant uh, students there because we all like to drink beer. (laughs) (laughs) The Swedes like to drink. There was always a big competition. And Austria is a big beer, uh, beer and wine country. I mean, you literally have a schnapps or beer before lunch. You know, it's pretty common, like a glass of water. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, well, it's, I mean, it's a German company, but I've worked at several German companies, you know, headquartered in Germany, uh, both Bayer and uh, Beringer Ingelheim. And yeah, we, yeah, we fly over there and literally uh, when I was at Bayer, they had a huge corporate uh, cafeteria and then they had an executive cafeteria and the executive cafeteria, uh, I was privileged enough to go into, you know, basically flew in, got there at the hotel 730, had 1130 lunch, you know, Lots and we're, we're just getting served by uh, tuxedoed waiters um, right. and, you know, we're having a, you know, a champagne to start and we're drinking throughout lunch have an after dinner drink after lunch drink and then right. have meetings all afternoon and start going and go right out to dinner and start drinking again exactly and it's funny later in life i moved back to austria um, with my kids and my husband so we moved back to vienna austria in 1998 early 98 and my kids you know they all went to school in vienna they were three, five, and seven oh, when we wow. got there. And, you know, you'd go to the school and there was, a, you know, Henkel, a little champagne at the, you know, at the soccer games. You'd be drinking champagne on the side. <laughs> you know, you go back to school night, you'd have wine and schnapps and all of that. So it's so much part of the culture there. So uh, my kids don't drink at all. And I find that fascinating, all three. Do not drink any alcohol because I think it was never a big thing yeah. when they were little. I mean, they were having schnapps when they were, you know, right. that little handed, you know, a little sip and a little bit of wine and beer. And they just never acquired the taste yeah. and uh, they don't drink. So really interesting things come out of that. Yeah. Then how did you navigate into your first job? And I, I couldn't I couldn't pronounce the company, but it was uh, the first Australian bank in the U.S. Yeah. yeah. Credit so, Anstalt Bankverein. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Gesundheit. Uh. <laughs> and before that, I did my internship in Vienna at the Österreichische Postbarkasse. So, you know, everything is like nouns on top of nouns right. that push those German words together. So it was a lot of fun. I learned German. And when I was still studying, 
working on a, a doctorate, which I, I never got. The German helped me get my first job offer and they a recruiter called from New York and asked if I would be interested in interviewing for a position in New York at the bank because I was doing an internship at a bank in the foreign exchange uh, department in Vienna and word got out and I spoke fluent German, fluent English, and I understood trading. So foreign exchange trading. So I did get hired. So I didn't even finish the program I was on because I said, hey, I just got an amazing job offer. So I moved back to New York in 1983. Took that job offer and we launched the bank. There were 17 of us and we launched the bank. Yeah, so just a startup, I mean, right? Startup bank. So I've always loved startups. It's always fun to start from scratch. And literally I could really help them. The treasurer mostly of the bank wanted someone that understood Austrian culture. He felt that was a really important attribute to have on the trading desk because he was dealing with Austrians all day long. He was from Long Island. He was a typical New Yorker. The island, yeah, the island. Long Island, yeah. So um, he loved that I could, you know, he'd always put me on the phone, you know, with the senior management. And whenever they flew in, I would be part of, you know, taking them out to dinner and translating where there would be missing <laughs> some missing pieces of information because you know German and English sometimes they they would get confused about what people were talking about. Yeah, it's crazy. And I I saw in your LinkedIn the, the all the positions were kept in pencil <laughs> at the startup. <laughs> I we that was- did, we did, and that's exactly what pushed me into my career today. Yeah. Uh, there was, I mean, when you think of working for a financial institution. And everything was kept our balance, you know, everything, managing the liquidity, managing position limits. It was all done by hand with pen and paper. And even the confirmations of the trades, I would write down bought 10 million, you know, which at the time was, you know, 1,500,000 Deutsche Marks. And everything was done by hand. And um, you can imagine how much fraud must have existed you know, I wasn't involved in any, but that's how all the banks ran their businesses. Wow, that's crazy. So, I mean, so you were in the financial markets in New York in the go period, like 80s, early 90s yeah. was like the crazy time. Like, to, what was it like uh, working in that time period in the financial yeah, market? Yeah, it was pretty hectic. And sitting on a trading desk was very stressful, fast moving. You really had to love the pace uh, you couldn't re- not, not much room for error when you're trading. And of, co- of course, the markets were all over the place. You know, we had uh, Volcker uh, at the time uh, and a lot of uh, financial uh, mishaps. Right. <laughs> so um, the markets would move sometimes, you know, dollar. I traded mostly dollar against Deutschmarks, dollar against Austrian shilling, and then cross currencies. And because of the interest rate swings. I mean, there were days that interest rates would go up to 100% overnight. Right, wow. And that really pushed volatility. I mean, you talk about today, we have pretty serene markets. Right. Um, intentional, right, because of those times. But you'd see uh, three or 400 uh, point moves intraday, like within hours. Wow. And uh, of course, as a trader, it didn't matter what side you were on as long as the market was moving 
and you didn't, you know, you could cut your losses and run your profits. So there was a lot of money to be made in those markets back then. The evolution of options came about just because of those massive swings that were happening in the markets. So FX options where you could actually hedge that risk for global companies. And I think you worked, you mentioned you work for Bayer. So you you know the risk of having products sold in a different country and making sure that currency risk is is hedged. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so it was exciting. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And somebody quoted, I saw a quote uh, from somebody that there was no better connector on Wall Street <laughs> than you. So I thought that was fascinating. How did you develop that spirit of, you know, connecting people that could uh, help each other? Because that, that sure. I think for our era, that was a, uh, and I, I consider myself a, a connector and go-giver also, but how did you, you know, have that mentality? The roots of that. I think that really goes back to working in the deli, believe it or not, and meeting that chairman, you know, uh, Bankers Trust chairman, Phil Hampton, and just working with the garbage men, you know, knowing the garbage men, knowing the people that came in, there was to me, you know, I, I loved it. I loved meeting all kinds of people. And I learned from every type, you know, it was never, this is an academic or this is, you know, a blue collar worker. Um, I guess because my dad being a blue collar worker who did go to college, um, it, it was just a really different upbringing. I think I never had that class difference feeling at all or a privileged feeling, but I just knew I always liked learning and meeting people. My dad was a people person or is still a people person. So I'm definitely a people person, have no problems talking with people, you know, on the street. And whenever I fly anywhere or take the train, I'm always, you know, meeting people on the way and asking, you know, what they're doing and why they're there. And it just kind of developed. And uh, one of the jobs I actually had in Vienna, Austria, which really helped me, um, I was trying to earn money in the summers uh, to get a little bit of extra. And I was what they call a fliege. A fliege is a fly. So I used to go and I worked for, um, at, the con at a conference in Vienna, I worked for a vacuum cleaner salesman. And I would be the one that would go up to his pitch. He'd be pitching the vacuum cleaner. And I would go up and he, I looked so young then. I was like 18. I looked like I was like 12, 13, because I'm pretty small. And uh, my job was to watch his, um, he did his little uh, demonstration. And I was going to buy 10 of them for my grandmother. I loved it so much. And oh, and I would just be the influencer right. in the sale in the sale and they would actually pay me to be excited oh i love that my mom will love it my grandmother will love it and it made people actually come over and look at his demo so i was like wow that's super power powerful you were the plant it is it is demo <laughs> <laughs> i was the plant exactly so i do call myself in my role today chief pollinator and I think all of that came from those times of watching the power of influencing the way people react or act. And I, I am a little bit of a salesperson, but I don't sell. I yeah. don't believe in selling. Yeah, you provide value. You want to provide value to people. Right. I, I can't sell something I don't truly believe in. So that's the difference. Right. I, you know, and I have worked for companies, you'll see on my bio as well where I didn't really believe in the product, 
and you'll see on one of my LinkedIn uh, jobs, I write uh, uh, vaporware. Yeah, I saw that. I learned the true meaning of vaporware, which means it never goes to market. <laughs> exactly. Well, there was no tech. The technology was all fake, right. right? So there was technology there, but they were selling tech that they didn't really have fully vetted out. So I that was one of the reasons I started my company in 2011. It was really important to vet out because there's a lot of garbage yeah. in the markets. And I can't remember exactly when you were on that, learned the true meaning of vaporware of that company. Was that during the kind of uh, dot-com? Uh, you know? uh, that was in 08, 09. Okay, so it was after the dot-com. Yeah. I, I was in the dot-com in a, a, a quasi-startup. We were going to get rich on our IPO. And I'm meeting with all the big names at the time, you know, MatchLogic, Excite.com, if you remember yeah. Excite. Uh, 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 to uh, 24 seven media, double click, double click still. Oh right. yeah. Yeah. All those. Uh, and I was like, God, I must be an idiot because I'm like, I don't really understand how these people make money. Like it was, it was, it was very, you know, and excite was the number one, you know, internet provider, you know, destination website and they went out of business match logic when I'm, you know, two, four, seven got bought by double click, but very interesting. So, you know, the core of all the reasons, why the internet was a bit dangerous. And I think that's the premise now of everything I do. So you go on to the internet, you're kind of out there on your own, right. like your identity is put out there. So my big um, meaningful uh, idea for the future is really working with self-sovereign identities. Like who is Jeff Palaccio? Are you really Jeff Palaccio on this call with me? That, you may that, not that's be. debatable. It's debatable, actually. Right. Well, you may not be. You know, you could be um, you could be a um, twin, which people are now twinning people. Right. Even as we get more evolved in the technology, you could be on a podcast at the same time, 20 different podcasts at the same time, and you twin yourself. Huh. So the AI knows your voice. You know, you create a digital twin of yourself, and that is happening at a very rapid pace for you know nefarious reasons, but also for for good for good reasons. Right. A lot of the you know famous uh, rock stars are starting to twin themselves so they can actually have concerts in different cities at the same time. But obviously, virtual concerts. Virtual, virtual, and yeah. So, but it may just be an introduction at a conference where they're on a big screen right. and you think they're really there, but that the twinning is really powerful. Hmm. The and, and, and that's part of one of your things you do with your company is help. Yeah, well, we're starting to get into that for brands, everything that leads back basically to um, the movement of value, all right, the movement of value in a new virtual world. So we're moving out of Web 2. And I, I don't know how comfortable you are with that word Web 2. That's a very analog world where you log in and you're, you know, in very centralized management of what you do right. into a more decentralized world where the data is not kept in one place. And that's the people, you know, are just starting to understand what does that really mean? Like, do you really care if your bank knows everything about yourself? You know, he knows you buy a bottle of wine on Friday night at the liquor store. They know that you like to travel here and there. All that data gets sold. Right. So all that data that you're those that data footprint that you're producing is monetized. Right. Same thing in healthcare. 
So I couldn't decide if I should go into healthcare after I did, you know, after 10 years um, off and I went back into the workforce, it was either healthcare or financial services because I knew healthcare needed a lot of help, right. <laughs> as you, you realize. Um, but I'm pivoting a little bit into healthcare because it is impacting data and oh, the way absolutely. data is managed. Yeah. yeah, so it all kind of ties together. So I think a lot of my background really helped me see, you know, what was happening. Yeah. So you, you start your company, Strategic Exchange, in 2011, in, in, in June. And, 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 you know, we talked about it a little bit. Um, in, so it's not really a consulting practice, but it's a consortium. What was your kind of, what was your yes, uh, it's idea? It's a consortium based? of solution providers. And it was... And Initially um, set up, the company was set up off the heels of Dodd-Frank regulatory reform when the regulation was really being um, implemented to get away from an 08-09 debacle again, accountability, um, just a robust um, control of your systems. And I just saw the market wasn't ready to implement the legislation because of legacy technology, really old technology where if you are a bank, you have to run your bank to your tech platform, which makes it really complicated when you have changes in legislation to implement. Very expensive. You had to hire, you know, the banks were just hiring thousands of consultants to come in and touch their servers whenever a human touches value. It's never a good thing. Uh, that's another mantra I always talk about where humans touch value, value will always go missing, whether on purpose or by accident. <laughs> so that's what I learned from the early days of working in the bank and everything in pencil, humans. So now that we have technology that can really run processes, trust the tech. And that gets into a lot of interesting conversations with AI and what's happening now. But if you have clean data, you should have clean outputs from that data. The problem is we have such corrupt data these days from everything on social media, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, there's so much bogus news. Who really knows what is the truth? And that totally pivoted me into blockchain because blockchain is the truth and it's based off math. The Bitcoin that runs on blockchain, I find, you know, the center of all of that. Mm-hmm. 21 million Bitcoin. Money can't be manipulated. You know, we print dollars every day. Right. When we can't uh, meet our needs. <laughs> I don't want to get political. Yeah. But um, yeah, we are uh, moving into a whole new era that people should be looking at. And everyone that is a creator can benefit in this new world. Yeah, and how did, and what uh, what's an example of that? Eliminating intermediaries as a creator. So if you're an artist, you know, do you really have to go out and pay someone, pay a company to promote you? Can you? That's the promoting yourself by using a lot of this new technology that will allow you. For example, this podcast would be a great example. You know, if you wanted to raise money to expand your footprint, you could literally become you would NFT yourself and your company, and you could actually ask people if they wanted to invest in you, they can invest directly with you, a dollar, $2, right. you know, but if you have millions of viewers or listeners, 
you can raise millions of dollars. And that whole new way of investing has trans, you know, just completely changed the world of uh, investments. Yeah, I know you back to banking. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know you talk about uh, how the, you know, the traditional finance market and how you pivoted to the decentralized financial market. So explain that for our audience. What's the differences between those two and what made you pivot to the decentralized model? Right. And that's going to be complicated to explain to people that have not been um, yeah. up on it. Like myself. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets it gets to be a mind twister. Yeah. Um, just think of a database that is storing all of your data in one place and controlling that data. In a decentralized uh, ecosystem, there's no one database where that data sits and it's spread around and people in that ecosystem need to validate that what was sent to them is true. And I'm trying to make it in a really simple way. It's sure. very complicated but it's using blockchain to validate uh, information. And that doesn't mean you can't have bad information in the blockchain, but information cannot be changed. And that's a really big thing. Databases can be fudged. You can change. Um, once a consensus of other computers validate that that information is true, there is another block created from that truthful piece of data. And it's so complicated, right. but this is the world we're moving into. And it's really controlled by non-humans, just the truth of information that can't be changed once it's encrypted. That little block of encrypted data stays exactly the same until a new block is created. But you always have the audit trail of those old blocks of information. So you can see if someone's changed information. If someone's changing a, a, a spreadsheet in pencil, that erased you know, number, you, you can't get it back, right. right? But if that information were in a blockchain, you can go back and see what was that data looking like before it was encrypted in this block, in this particular block. So if you can just imagine what that is like and the power, so all the big banks are moving into blockchain all the exchanges, many corporations, it's catching on like wildfire and people don't even know it. They're like, who cares? Like, who cares if the bank has my data or whatever happens? I don't care what they know, I have nothing to hide. It's not about knowing that you wanna hide something. It's really the fact that you don't want people creating a story about yourself that you have no control of. Right. And that's getting into a little bit of a tangent, but, um. It's really exciting. So I would encourage your audience to just look at the new Web3 environment and what that is going to bring for every individual. Individuals will now be more empowered. And that's why I'm looking at self-sovereign identity as such a powerful application. I really need to know that you're Jeff Palaccio. In a virtual world, how am I really going to know that you are Jeff Palaccio? <laughs> Well, we had that one math class together. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Seventh grade, I think. This is uh, Wilkie. No. This um, is Wilkie, definitely. Yes. Yeah, see, here we go. Trigonometry. Uh, yep. Yeah, you know, I love, I mean, you're so, I mean, you're a true expert in your field. I love that. Uh, well, um, I wouldn't say that. I, I'm not saying I'm the expert, but I am the pollinator that will bring you the expert. Right. Right. So I need to know who are the experts and who right. are 
the, the non, you know, the fake people, the fake companies. And that's what I was talking about with the vaporware. Right. Yeah. Well, um, and maybe you're not, I mean, but you know enough to know the who to connect and who Correct. are the players. But I mean, you obviously have the concepts down. Like, so for people like myself that would want to know more about blockchain and AI and chat GPT, what are the resources would you uh, recommend they look into, whether that's books, articles, blogs, you know, following right. people? Yeah, I think the biggest um, source resource for yourself would be reading white papers. And I, I would suggest going back to the founder of Bitcoin. That original white paper is incredibly powerful. And another mentor of mine that I follow is he was the CFTC commissioner back during Dodd-Frank days. And he today is a big believer in Web3 and blockchain and the value. And he's written a book called Crypto Dad. And he's, he's an amazing guy. Uh, he, he's, he's so talented and he's, he's a lawyer. He works in the space. He wrote the book. And I would say, suggest anyone start with that book and uh, start with the original white paper for Bitcoin and you will just be blown away. And in the beginning, I was really skeptical back in 2013, 2012, 2013, when I started learning about blockchain, I knew that the world was going to have a problem. Because how do you manage things that are decentralized? You have no more control. The government can't control. The bank can't control. Everyone controls. So it's it's a really different philosophy. So I think it's it's important for people just to know what's coming and to understand that it's actually here. Think of supply chain. Think of where you live in Kansas City, the farmers. The farmer can now sell direct to the end client. Right now, there's so many intermediaries, so much cost on bringing a crop to market. Think of Africa. So I think when when you start reading those books and those white, the white papers are powerful. They get right to the point. There's not a lot of fluff. Um, they're all based on science. And uh, I think that's a good way to start in, in this area, for sure. And you'll never, we call it going down the rabbit hole. Right. Once you get down the rabbit hole, it's right. really hard to come out. Yeah. No, I love your philosophy. I mean, uh, you're obviously a lifelong learner, so you're you never stop the process of learning, which I, you know, I just recently taught my first class at the University of Kansas. And I tell them, like, you're once you're done with this, you know, you're graduating in May, you're you're learning just about the start. It's not ending. You're just exactly. you don't really know anything right now. <laughs> You know, so, yeah, and it, yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, your career has been fascinating. So, what do you see finance going in the future? I know it's this whole decentralized, uh, but you, when you, you want to elaborate on, you know, because you see, I, one of the quotes I saw in, uh, about you is like you can, you're very good at kind of forecasting the future. So, where, Lisa, where do you see it going? Yeah, well, it's an interesting point. A good example is when we st first started moving into the cloud. And I don't know if your listeners, how much they know about the cloud. Everyone kind of wonders, what does the cloud mean? Not an on-premise server, but using multiple servers in multiple different places. And I used to go and give, you know, full day seminars to um, the banks and some of their technology companies that were all centrally 
one server based. And they told me, Lisa, never ever will a bank go into the cloud, never. Banks need to control their data themselves. And it was so costly for them to control these big servers and even the exchanges, the cost was just exorbitant. They were spending millions and millions of dollars a month to maintain, to service all those servers. And once they started to realize that the cloud could be something that they could leverage, that it makes actually that data more safe in a way, like all the innovation started to happen. And I look back now, I call some of the CEOs that said to me, Lisa, you know, look at me, no bank will ever go into the cloud. Like you're completely off base. So I feel like I'm at the same inflection point now in, the, in this environment. People told me a few years ago, Lisa, banks will never use blockchain, right? They will never go into Bitcoin. They will never invest in Bitcoin. And all you see every day are new press releases of Fidelity, you know, now, you know, JP Morgan has their Onyx token, right, in the blockchain, right? So everything, you know, they just needed to catch up a lot of them. And I think that's been the problem with the regulators. The regulators are trying to control something that can have no control. So decentralization, you can't control. So if someone tells you they're a CEO of a decentralized company, you have to question them because what is a CEO means they have control over a company. Decentralized economy is no control. So it's a whole new world. It's democratized. So once you start reading about all this and your listeners start getting, there may be some listening in that's saying, oh my God, I, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I, I've been working and making money in this. Um, just having globalization be much more uh, nimble, right? So it, cross borders won't matter anymore. Moving money to, to England or to Mexico, it's been so expensive. Why? You know, dollar peso. So as a currency trader, I really saw the value of, of Bitcoin, of having one representation of a value, which by the way, uh, the regulators are deeming a commodity, Bitcoin as a commodity, but Bitcoin can also be a currency. So it's it's just incredible. And I think we're just at the very beginning of, of what is you know going to make our world a lot better place. I see it as technology for good, for the better good. Uh, artificial intelligence is a big piece of that. But again, we need to make sure that the data that that AI mechanism is taking, right, consuming, that it's pure. It can't be, you know, if you're taking bad and all your data analysts will say bad data in, bad data out. Right. <laughs> so you can't get a good uh, answer. But I don't know how you're using ChatGPT or if you're loving it or hating it. But um, I find it fascinating. And for listeners that want to explore chat uh, GBT in more, more in depth, any recommendations on how to do that? Yeah, I mean, there's so much out there right now as uh, so many of these academics. So, so even looking to MIT, Stanford, you know, the big universities have incredible programs that you can take courses online, uh, even just to listen in. Um, but the, the, the academic schools are really heavily Oxford University, um, very, very involved. And um, yeah, I think the universities are a great place to look um, because again, we're at the very beginning of this. And I, I think it's, it's crazy what's gonna be coming in the next few years.
for our world. Smart cities, think of a smart city, think of just the driverless cars. They all run on AI and powered by all kinds of technology that's just coming to market. Batteries, sustainable energy, it's all kind of tied in together now. So that's a reason why, by the way, I moved to Wyoming. Wyoming has some of the most progressive legislation around blockchain technology, I guess, mostly because of the University of Wyoming and one of their big donors, Caitlin Long, who I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, she's right now launching a digital custodian in the United States, but she brought a lot of attention to the space in Wyoming. So I, I moved to Wyoming and um, I can walk into the Capitol in Cheyenne. You walk in, like, it's not like here in the, you know, in New York, you can just go in and walk in and listen in on legislation and laws being written. It's so open. You can even go in with your, like, they don't even, you don't even get security check. It's pretty now, crazy. is the governor still John Dutton of Yellowstone? Is he still the governor of Wyoming or is that? Uh... Well, Mark, um, no. <laughs> governor Mark Gordon, who actually used to work at the Kansas City Fed. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So yeah. Mark Gordon, he's very versed in the senators there, Senator Rafa, Senator Lummis. They're very engaged nationally and locally in Wyoming. And I just wanted to get closer to them because Wyoming was also um, the state that created the LLC. The LLC comes from Wyoming and women's suffrage, uh, first voters were females. Right. So it just attracted me, um, even though it's it's very different. <laughs> political yeah. environment uh, coming from New York, sure. uh, but they're very progressive and they, they covet data privacy, which I love because you need to protect your data uh, and property rights, which I think, you know, we really need to, you know, what do you really own and do you really own something? So um, it's really important. It sounds so basic, but if you can't prove that you're really Jeff Palaccio, how can I prove that that land is yours or that building's yours or that car is yours? Right. We have title insurance, which is all centralized, right? And that can be fudged. You see all the fraud that goes on with car titles and house titles. Why you have to pay for a title church search is crazy. With this new technology, you know exactly who owns it and who sold it. And it's all it all can't be changed. It's encrypted. Yeah, it, it's just fascinating uh, what we're coming up to in terms of how the world is going to change. And I know you've touched on it a couple different times, but I want to make sure the listeners of the podcast know. So your company, what's the three main ways they can help the clients that you serve? Right. Um, well, it's an interesting model. So because I love democratization, right, I think um, and collaboration um, all the companies that come into my consortium as a, come in as a member work together. So if you're all selling different applications to the same end client, so when you worked at United Way, you'd have vendors, right? And different vendors selling different services, but they're all selling to United Way. So why don't you all collaborate and figure out how you can do that and understand how does you know a, another company selling to the same end client, where are the synergies, right? Where can you help them? Because it's overwhelming them for them to get all these different <laughs> services, right? And, but if you can put them together, 
so it creates a story for the company and why should they be using this service as opposed to a different service. Some of my consortium members are so cool. Like I would love one day just to talk about what they do and how they create efficiency. Technology should create efficiency and cut down on costs. That's the bottom line. So that's how I choose my consortium members that actually join my consortium. And I'm a free advisory service to any financial institution, whether it be a bank, an insurance company, a broker dealer, an exchange. I don't charge. I just go in and, you know, what are they thinking for their digital transformation? Where are they? They have to be thinking about it because every single day you see how much more tech is being used. And if they don't have a plan, they will fall behind. So I'm just trying to help them and I'll go in with my arsenal of different tech applications, not selling them, but merely educating them. Again, I use that word, not educating, enlightening them about what's out there, what's available. Because you may not know, even some of the little investing widgets, they're so cool and a lot of them are free. And people just don't know if you're not looking for things, you know, how would you know what is actually, you know, again, we have this issue with trust. We can even talk about Zoom or TikTok. Where is that data going? People are nervous. Yeah, I'd love your thoughts on TikTok and the, uh, wasn't Wyoming or Montana restricted? Montana, yeah. banning it. Yeah. Again, because what are they doing with that data, mm -hmm. right? So you're in someone's bedroom and you're filming. What data? are the developers of TikTok getting that they have access to, just like our computer cameras. Is it really off when you turn your computer when we're done with Zoom? Is it really off? Or right. a lot of people put the little, you know, sticker so, on yeah. to cover it because you just don't know. And you, you don't want your data to all of a sudden show up on the black market, right. you know, getting out of the shower or right. discussing something that might be uh, not appropriate. Yeah, we just have to be more careful these days um, with how we live. And that's why I'm really building the data, you know, self-sovereign identity piece that I think is really, really important so you can protect yourself. We're building data pods in Wyoming where you can, where I can create a Jeff Palaccio data pod, which is just you. You're the only one in the server and you control it, nobody else. So maybe your healthcare data, right? All, you know, what your doctors have, because the hospitals and labs, they sell your data. Why should they get paid for it? Right. What about if you sold your data for research? Right? They take your blood, they have all the lab results, they sell that to the research labs. So everyone, you know, and you know that better than I do, <laughs> working on all that. But um, understanding the value of how we can empower ourselves in this new world, and how we can also protect our identities, and secure you know, the way we communicate, because we communicate on cell phones, you know, digitally on computers. And um, I work with some really cool companies, decentralized communication platforms. Also, I'll invite you on my decentralized video application that the data you would own, if you have your own tenancy, it's your data. You sign, what, 200 pages on Facebook when you sign on, you know, they own all your pictures, they own all your conversations. Right. So does WhatsApp. So if people understand that and they're good with that, that's yeah. fine. But why not empower yourself with owning that? And that's where the creators come in. A playwright, you know, a copyright, a patent. So we're digitizing patents so that you actually know that you own the patent or your company owns the patent. 
and there's no more patent trolls that can steal your patent and try to sue you. So all of that is just going with the times of dealing with the internet as part of our lives, securing ourselves on the internet. Yeah, I mean, this is so good in terms of what's happening and your knowledge of it. And you're not an expert, but... Uh... I, I'm really not, but I, I can give you some amazing experts and happy to have them join you on your show, but incredible. I'll have Pamela Norton from Title Chain, yeah. incredible entrepreneur. Her life is just amazing what she's doing. Uh, she's in California, but also moved all her companies to Wyoming just some incredible companies that that you wouldn't even believe you know what they're doing and you wouldn't even think there was a problem until you know the solution that they have that will solve some problems that you haven't realized really existed you know your property digitizing gold digitizing title rights on land in Wyoming they have a lot of rare earth minerals so how can you have a cash flowing token we're tokenizing it and it actually produces cash by knowing, you know, there's a uh, rubidium sitting on that land that you can actually license to a big tech company. There's two groups of people I'd like to help on the, on the podcast as I'm empathetic to both. One is uh, a recent college graduate. What advice would you give them in their start of their career? And I'm really interested in your take on it because you had such a fascinating start to your career. So what advice would you give them as they embark on their professional journey? I would say absolutely getting themselves up to date with what Web3 is and where their talents can definitely take them to a whole new journey. So instead of working for someone, any talents, anything they've created or ideas, so we're also titling ideas, trade ideas, just inventions, because that's the beginning of, of where you can see value in your life. So if you think that you have an idea, let's say it's a book you want to write, and it's a topic that you want to write about, you can really protect yourself by, you know, tokenizing that actual brand that you are thinking of writing, almost your IP. And you can also start using that IP um, so that no one else can steal an idea. Because by the time you apply for a patent, right, or get your, you know, there's so many different ways the patents can be stolen. That information, by the way, sometimes gets sent by fax or email, which are constantly getting hacked. So you may send all the information to the patent office and it's already been stolen. Right. And it may take you six months to five years to get that patent and it's gone before you even got the patent. So, again, being really careful in this new world and just promoting entrepreneurial spirit, spirit, like you said, of learning, just learn about what you're doing and running businesses will be very different. What kind of payment system do you use? That's all changing. You know, you can see what's happening with Twitter. We can go and have a whole separate podcast about Twitter and what they're doing right. and how he's absolute genius in so many ways. But that really is because he understood what Web3, the power of Web3 and what it can do. And, and it's hard talking to people our age. You know, we're kind of set in our ways. Mm -hmm. You know, we live, but a young mind that's just graduating college, oh my gosh, the world is their oyster. And there's just so much they can do. Um, without having to even work for another company. And there's, I, I find it great that you're, you're part of that, right? Teaching and, 
having young people, but um, definitely look at the University of Wyoming. We do a blockchain stampede every September and it's free and everyone is invited. It's in uh, Laramie at the university and they've been promoting that. They've been running that program for, I think I've been going since uh, 2017, 2016 wow. maybe. That's so cool. um, really exciting for people to come and just uh, learn what's out there. And, and also visit a state that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the other group I like to help is, you know, when you start out of college, get your first job, you're usually an individual contributor. So now you get promoted. Now you have people under you. You're a manager slash leader. What advice would you have for them as they embark on their leadership journey and, and, and serving others and, and, and managing and leading others? Well, I always put myself as a leader, as a colleague, not a leader. Look at all of your people under you as colleagues and not as people working for you. And I think that changes the whole game and also learn from people that are under you because sometimes they do know a lot more than you do. And uh, you can see the successes from those open-minded CEOs that really promote their employees to open up and be, you know, innovative. Uh, because a lot, you know, in the old world, innovation is not your friend. And I may have lost a few jobs because I was too far ahead of my time. And people said I was crazy, but I always wanted to change the world to make it better for my three kids. Yeah, my three kids are really different being, you know, raised in Austria, you know, they had their classes, their kids were from every country, you know, kindergarten, they had 16 kids from 16 different countries. Wow. And they are global kids, you know, they're global children of the world. And, you know, they don't, they eat every kind of food. Um, I just think looking at the world as we're all human, and we're all on this planet together, and not polarizing, they're not political. It's, it's really interesting how different they are. Uh, they had cell phones when they were five because in Austria, you know, everyone got a cell phone because who knew if your bus driver was going to get you home or not? Because <laughs> there's no controls like here that you have a school bus. Right. You know, you just get on a bus and God knows where you're going to end up. Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just very different. So when they came home, they didn't want cell phones and they, they didn't want to, you know, do the college drinking thing or the drinking because it was passe. Uh -huh. So, um, it's really interesting, I think, to travel. Travel is so important and live in a different culture. Um, even if it's for three months, three months is a really good time and to live with the people in that country. I think that's another great college. Every single college student should try to study abroad somewhere, you know, even if it's a different state <laughs> that they're from, but experience different cultures. And I think that that will help open their minds to how the world is moving. And Europe, by the way, and uh, the Middle East are far ahead on Web3. The Middle East right now, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, um, Asia, they are moving so quickly. And we in the US really have to just understand what's happening. Otherwise that US dollar is gonna be gone. You know, right now it's a global currency that everyone respects. So um, important to look outside um, this country. Big, big advice, I think. Yeah, well, Lisa, you've had an unbelievably fascinating career. I mean, it's just, I, 
you know, my goal is to have people on a second and third time. So you're definitely on that list. Sure. Uh, but thank sure. you so much for joining me on the corporate to. couch today. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah. Well, thank Keep you. Keep up have, the good work. Yeah. Have you're a great rest you. of your day. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Oh, I, I love talking to Lisa. You know, she I went to high school and uh, junior high with her. Joe, I am a little uh, ticked off that you uh, took out the part when I was trying to get her to admit that she had a crush on me in uh, <laughs> middle school. So, well, you, uh, you know, some you things just are not appropriate for these kind of podcasts. We're, we're, we're setting a little higher standard than that. And uh, just full, but anyway, full, full disclosure. She, she probably did not, and that actually wasn't part of the podcast. But, but I, I was <laughs> fascinated. I mean, everything she and she said she wasn't an expert. And yes, I'm sure people know more about these topics. But these topics that she discussed are all top of mind: Web 3.0, Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain, AI, data privacy, NFT. I mean, she said she wasn't an expert, but man, I just thought. I felt a little uh, uh, that I was a little stupid. A little intimidating. What was your there? take on that? Yeah, yeah. No, no. She's very much the expert on it. She has done a lot more research on that than I have. I'm personally not as concerned about some data privacy as as she probably was. I don't care anything about my own personal data privacy, but I do understand and appreciate that it's a big deal for a lot of people, and that's probably something I need to work on in my life. And I need people like her to remind me every once in a while that data privacy, th things like the blockchain that she was talking about, the fact that you need to prove that you are Jeff Palacio before I can have a financial transaction with you, you know, those kind of things. That's a big deal to an awful lot of people. So whether it's a big deal to me or not is really beside the point. Uh, I thought it was a very interesting conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I was I was actually so intrigued that Wyoming is so forward thinking in a, a lot of these uh, topics in, in technology. That, that really so. is that doesn't they don't strike you as being that kind of a that kind of a state. But hey, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, everybody thinks it's uh, Governor John Dutton of of Yellowstone yeah. is the governor, and she corrected me on that too. <laughs> um, what leadership advice do you have for uh, the audience? Well, today we're going to get a quote from Wally, the famous COBOL programmer, who one time said, my coworkers don't take me seriously because I'm so good looking and they hate me for my brilliant mind. So if I'm unproductive, it's only because of my beauty and my brilliance. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.